Hello, I'm a shouty man. And today, lucky you, you get to behold the spectacle that is Rock and Roll Time Machine. In today's show, we have the baddest bad boy to have ever forecasted on the deep blue sea, Robert Fitzroy himself. He ain't middle class pharaoh, Khufu. But what did he do-do? Well, that's for me to know and you to find out. And finally, no excuses, no mountain too tall. Mad and Bailey, who is it? Wait for it, one tough lady. We got it all for you today, folks, so don't you change those dials as we begin our journey of time via the waves of rock and roll. Welcome to Rock and Roll Time Machine. I'm your host, Ryan Price. And today on the show, we got we got a lineup, dude, that would just slay the best of them. You know what I'm saying? We got Robert Fitzroy. He was born in England in 1805 and later studied at the Royal Naval Academy. His first command was of the Beagle. And in 1831, he surveyed the coasts of Patagonia. I believe uh, more specifically at a place called Tierra del Fuego and the Straits of Magellan. Uh, Maybe you heard of them. Anyway, he was accompanied by the naturalist Charles Darwin. Maybe you heard of him. Anyways, Charlie D was there. Uh, Later publications of what he did were based on the discoveries and observations made during the voyage Charles Darwin had with Robert Fitzroy. So we're going to talk more about him. He's an interesting guy. Also, maybe you heard of this guy, maybe you haven't, but he was a pretty big deal in 2566 BC. That is Pharaoh Khufu. Possibly the most famous Old Kingdom Pharaoh Khufu was the second pharaoh of the fourth dynasty. His full name is Num Khufu. Is the best way I could try it. I'm sorry, folks. But that is also protected by Num. Uh, something along those lines, I believe. I'm no Egyptologist, but the Greeks called him Sufis or Kelps, something like that. Anyways, he existed in the records that showed he could have reigned anywhere between 23 to 34 years. I guess that's a pretty good chunk of time. And uh, he might have even, some records are suggesting that he actually was a pharaoh for 63 years. He is believed to have extended the borders of Egypt into Sinai. So, interesting guy. Also, we have Mad Ann Bailey. What a lady. Okay, so Ann Hennis was her name. She was born in 1742 in Liverpool, England, where she learned to read and write. After her parents died, she made her way to America in 1761 and settled at Staunton, Virginia, where she lived with relatives. In about 1765, she married Richard Trotter, who also lived in the Shenandoah Valley. Oh, there's a song that's called like Shenandoah. I won't go into it, but it's a good song. The couple had one child named William Trotter, who was born near Barber, Virginia in 1767. Now, this doesn't sound like the life of anybody that's mad, but uh, there's quite a story to this lady. You're going to have to stay tuned to find out. But before we get into it, we're going to play some rock and roll.
Ahoy there, sailor, and attend the tale of Robert Fitzroy. Her, he was a scurvy knave, but a really fine scurvy knave. Okay, so now you are back in 1843, hopefully, and Robert Fitzroy has just been appointed governor of New Zealand, replacing Governor Hobson, who had died in 1842. This is where you are right now. And what got you here was Estella by Kenny Hoopla. That was the song, okay? It, he wasn't actually making music at that time. Anyways, but at that time, the colony was virtually bankrupt. That is New Zealand just so you know. And there had been a serious conflict between uh, the two tribes in New Zealand that call that place home. And war was also being threatened in the north. Fitzroy didn't really have it super easy when he was made uh, the governor. He wasn't given any funds or troops, but instead was forced to rely upon moral suasion to resolve the problem. We all know how that goes. Anyways, during Fitzroy's governorship, the crown had a monopoly in purchasing land. It was called Premption, which had been confirmed in a treaty, but because of the lack of funds the crown had and was unable to purchase land for resale to settlers, this resulted in the people who are the indigenous folks of New Zealand getting agitated, rightfully so, and an ever-worsening economic situation. Well, Fitzroy's solution was to allow the Maori, one of the groups there that call New Zealand home, to deal directly with settlers who wanted to acquire land. The colonial office in London disapproved, and with the outbreak of war in the north of New Zealand, he was recalled to Britain in May 1845. So this kind of gives you hopefully a little bit of an understanding of who Robert Fitzroy was. We're going to talk more about him after this music break.
That was July by Betcha. And now let's get into those facts about my boy, Fitzroy. Just, I guess I was born with it. I don't know. Anyways, we're going to talk about Fitzroy. He was a pioneering meteorologist who made accurate daily weather predictions, which he called by the name he coined himself. Wait for it. Dramatic pause. Forecast. That's right. We're still using that word. This is where that term weather forecast stems from and is, as you know, still used today. What may not still be in use today is the accuracy of those weather reports themselves. Apparently, Fitzroy was really good at forecasting the weather. Maybe maybe you meteorologists could learn a thing or two. Somebody said it, and I did. Anyways, number two. It was as a result of being in command in isolated regions of the world that Fitzroy was advised to take a companion on board with him to discuss shared interests, such as natural philosophy, to mitigate against the hardships of isolation. Well, imagine, you know, you ask somebody for a companion, and who do you get? You get Charles Darwin. So this is how these two came together. He was invited to board the Beagle as a companion to Robert Fitzroy. Little did anyone know that the outcome of this journey would forever reshape our ideas of the natural world. Also, something here to say is number three. As a staunch Christian, Fitzroy firmly believed that all humans came from one stock and did not comprise of races. He believed that humans were capable of being transformed from savages to civilized people through education. He associated the people of Fuego to the Britons when Romans first came to Britain after taking several Fuegians captive during his voyage. Fitzroy decided to undertake a social experiment by bringing the captives to England to be educated so that they could be interpreters and support future of Protestants in the mission of Tierra del Fuego. Unfortunately, both enterprises failed, leaving Fitzroy shaken by the evidence of the impermanence of the effects of education, but an adamant believer in the importance of his missionary work. So those were your Fitzroy facts. Now let's play some rock and roll music.
selfish and thoughtless Capital dream for material boy that I went and I lost it seven wonders of the world. Who is this man? Who could he be? Why, it's none other than Pharaoh Khufu. All right, the song before that break was Sir Sly, Material Boy. And so let's get into who Khufu was. He's pretty famous, or at least he used to be. But I think that still means he is. So Khufu. Right, he built one of the seven wonders of the world. He started this project when he came to the throne, and this was possibly at some point in his 20s. The Great Pyramid was the first to be constructed in Giza, or in the Giza complex, and the largest in the world. Khufu managed to fund the project as Egypt was experiencing a time of great prosperity. You know, his business was being a pharaoh and business was good. His nephew Hemunu was appointed head of construction for the Great Pyramid. That's a freebie. That's not a fact. We're not doing those. Stop. We're not doing the facts yet. It was a testimony to Khufu's leadership and command of his resources in his country that he was able to undertake a task of this size and scale whilst also dealing with the general administrative, political, and martial issues that he would have faced within Egypt and the surrounding areas. Not a lot is known about Khufu's life. Keep this in mind. So there's... still a lot of question marks. It is thought he had three wives though, hey, and children at that, right? I'm I'm not going to talk about the birds and the bees. It's not my job, okay? It's not. Despite the grandeur and lasting legacy of his work, the only surviving statue we have of him is about three inches tall. It's an ivory statue, and ironically, it is the smallest royal sculpture discovered from ancient Egypt. So I don't know. I don't know what that's for you to decide, okay? But (laughs) anyways... We got some facts about this great pharaoh coming up right after this break. Four young shawties in the bedroom, bullets in the ceiling with the volume loud. I'm still in your kitchen getting out cause I miss you when I'm sober I can figure it out. Four young shawties in the bedroom, but it's 
songs were 4am by Kid Brunswick and Gaslight by Diveliner. And now let's talk about our Khufu facts. Alright, fact number uno is that the entire Great Pyramid project took about 23 years to complete and involved moving some 2,300,000 building blocks weighing in at an average of 2.5 tons each. So it wasn't really that impressive. Contrary to popular opinion, these blocks were unlikely to be hauled by slaves by hand. Given the immensity and importance of this task, it was likely that Khufu arranged for conscripted workers and that they would use the most cutting-edge technology of the time, namely a pulley system, to move the blocks into place. This was not the sort of job you would give to a slave who is likely and liable to not care about the process, given how perfect the pyramids are. So this leads us into our next fact. The idea that Khufu used slaves to build the pyramid comes from the Greek historian Herodotus. He also describes Khufu as a cruel and wicked leader who prostituted his daughter when he ran short of money. But the Westcar Papyrus describes Khufu in a different light as a traditional oriental monarch, good-natured, amiable to his inferiors, and interested in the nature of human existence and magic. The West Car Papyrus is an ancient Egyptian text containing five stories about miracles. In the papyrus text, each of these tales is told at a royal court of King Khufu by his sons. The papyrus is believed to have been written at a later date sometime in the Middle Kingdom. It was found by a British adventurer, Henry Westcar, whilst traveling in Egypt. For unknown reasons, Westcar didn't record the circumstances surrounding how he came to be in possession of the artifact as well. Now your final fact is the Great Pyramid rises to a height of 481 feet with a base length of more than 750 feet per side. The greatest difference in length among the four sides is a mere 4.4 centimeters. That's not a lot of centimeters difference. Anyways, those are your facts about Khufu. Now let's play some more rock and roll music.
walking none closer to the tale of Matt and Bailey, who honestly probably had every right to be angry because Ann's husband, Richard, he was part of the Virginia militia. He was killed on October 10th, 1774, at the Battle of Point Pleasant in Dunmore's War. Conflict between the Virginia colony and the Shawnee Bingo Indian tribes. Well, that mad Ann Bailey, in 1785, she married a different bloke, John Bailey, a frontiersman and a songs before that that before that was <laughs> uh no love for the middle child and me versus the world by the all-american rejects so after ann bailey got married to that ranger john bailey the two moved to clendenin's settlement on the site of present-day charleston west virginia in 1788 the settlement's principal feature was fort lee ann was doing work and continued to do her work for the u.s military by patrolling the frontier against Native American tribes that might be acting hostile and acting as a messenger between Fort Lee and other frontier posts. We're going to have those three facts for you right after this music break. I'm 
to the stage, a young comic. Gus, make some noise. Make some
That was Seaway and Gus Dapper. Now let's talk about those facts. So, although often not mentioned in the history books of the Wild West and the frontier land, Mad Anne was a prominent figure during the colonial Indian Wars and the American Revolution. She was a scout, spy, and even an Indian fighter. At such a time when women were considered to be too delicate and of a weaker species than men, Anne reminded us that some images were easily broken, but not so easily remembered. Your next fact is that Anne took to the life she did as vengeance for her first husband's untimely death. She left her son Robert with a neighbor, Mr. Moses Mann, disguised herself as a man, and then left with a rifle and a tomahawk. In addition to dressing like a man, she also was said to have learned to drink and swear like a man. She sounds actually pretty awesome. Anyways, uh, number three is in 1791, when she was 49 years old, the people of Fort Lee were warned that a large force of Native Americans were going to attack. When the defenders found that their supply of gunpowder was running low, Anne volunteered to ride for help. She made her way over 100 miles through the forest to Savannah at present-day Lewisburg, West Virginia, and returned in three days with gunpowder. To be able to ride over rough terrain and avoid the multitude of dangers that she would have faced in the time she achieved is an incredible feat of athletic prowess and gutsiness. What a gal. Travis and Nick. Hey guys. How hey. you doing? Hey. Okay. You'll be reading for the role of girlfriends today. Any questions? Uh, I, got a, I got a question about my character. In the first scene, it says that he's getting electrocuted, but then in the second scene, we're working out, and that just doesn't really make sense. I know you've got that face, but it's going to work out perfectly. Don't sweat it. Let's roll camera. Let's roll camera. Action. California looks good on you, but it made a mess of me. All my friends are doing drugs to drown out their anxiety. California looks good on
Oh, that was something. Yeah. I think we're gonna go in a different direction now. This episode of Rock and Roll Time Machine, I'm your host, Ryan Price. We talked about some cool folks in history today, and um, I'm really glad we shared this moment together, so bring it in. Anyways, guys, to play us out for the rest of the hour is The Final Countdown by Europe. 